Hello, and once again, and welcome to the Patriot Preacher Podcast. Ethan, I forgot to ask, are we recording right now? Video? Oh, yeah, we're recording. Oh, awesome. So you'll edit, the, you'll <laughs> yes, edit all I the... I will. You'll, <laughs> you'll edit all the banter that we have. Makes for a before. good intro. Yeah, for the intro. Uh, we're back here with the Patriot Preacher Podcast, and I'm thankful once again to have Brother Ethan Tate with me again today from the Tri-City School of Preaching. In case you haven't noticed how this podcast has been going, I've been bouncing back and forth with first Brother Wesley Simons and then Ethan Tate. And whenever I do that, we're going to change topics. And you might ask, well, why am I why am I doing that so much? Well, for one, our schedules, conflicting schedules. And for two, I want to make sure that we get all these topics in place permanently recorded. And I also want to make sure that I hit these gentlemen's strong spots. You know, uh, when I talk with Brother Wesley and I come down here to the Tri-City School of Preaching, I like to focus on apologetics. I like to focus on defending the faith, especially against false accusations. You know, the Bible makes mention of Satan being the ultimate accuser. When people accuse the Lord's church of false doctrines, of things that they really don't believe or the, or the church has been really misrepresented in a bad way, I like to bring that out. I also like to bring up the worldviews of what's going on in this country today. Uh, it's so relevant when you talk about what the church is, and it's so important for people in general, and I almost said Christians, it, it, most certainly we understand that it is important for Christians to have a biblical worldview. Right in order for us to defend our faith. But where are the worldviews of, of most secular people? And that's why I wanted to have Brother Ethan Tate on here with me now is because he he helps teach worldviews here. He is uh, He's done so much research on how people think and why they think what they think, going back generations, and it helps us, it helps bring us uh, to the way people think in this country now. Ethan, welcome once again to the show. Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate <laughs> being here. Uh, I want to start out reading a couple passages of Scripture, and then uh, I'm just going to kind of turn you loose there and let you let you go into it, okay? okay. And so you think about these these generations that we that we live in. Proverbs chapter thirty is one of the best places I can think of to start. It says here, "There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother." There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There's a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. I'd say we're in that generation right now with all the worldviews that's going on and everything going on in this country, Ethan. What do you have for us today? Well, just with those verses in mind, I mean, I, I wonder what, what kind of generation are we? And, you know, if we're, if we're willing to be unreasonable about things, we would say, oh, we're none of those. I don't think that's the case. Um, in fact, you look around America today, a lot of research is showing that we're starting to push ourselves into a belief system that anything and everything goes, and you're right even if I don't agree with it, and I'm right even if you don't agree with it. Well, the problem is is that we have so many people standing up for what they say they don't believe in, and 
then they violate their own statement by saying, well, everybody's right. Well, why are you, why are you rejecting what I have to say if I'm right? Yeah. There's a problem. And what's, what's interesting about all this is um, one, one of the classes I teach here, have the honor to teach here, is uh, the full first-year classes for English. And one of the things that I capitalize on for the students writing their papers is how are you communicating clearly your thoughts so that you don't have any kind of misunderstandings, nothing's vague, and you get a clear-cut communication to the message you're trying to present. And that's the idea that Paul presented in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, yeah, 2 Corinthians 4, that we're commending ourselves to every man's conscience, and he would say that in the first six verses there. And he would say, we're sharing the truth, but those who reject the truth are being blinded by the God of this world. They're kept in darkness, but God has commanded us to shine forth the light of truth so that that message of the gospel can be shared with all men. The only problem is that sometimes there's a miscommunication or a misunderstanding, and a lot of times if we don't understand something, we'll blame the communicator for not um, explaining it to where we can understand it. But sometimes we might be the problem for not receiving that message the way it ought to be received which is where we are today in America for our worldview, a lot of people say you can't come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, I don't think that's right. In fact, you look at Proverbs chapter 22, and the Proverbs writer would say that, yes, you can know truth. In fact, it would say in verse 17 and following, "...incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you." Let them all be fixed upon your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels of knowledge? And 21 is key out of all of this, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you. This individual teacher is saying, look, these things that I've taught you, have I not taught them to you for two reasons? One, that you may know that truth is certainly obtainable. And two, that you may know how to answer a matter in a truthful way. There's a lot of people who say you can't do that because it's going to violate their lifestyle in some way. And sadly, that's exactly where we find America today. Yeah, I was going to say, just as you're talking about this certainty of truth. What a foreign concept it is today, right? Yeah, sadly, yes. Objective moral standard uh, kind of gets into what we were talking about in the previous episodes about moral relativism, humanistic relativism, whatever makes me happy. So the Bible says here in verse 31 of John chapter 8, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then, you, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, you go back to John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. Uh, He says something very interesting here in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. He says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers... But wait a minute. Truth is relative, is it not? Yeah, I don't don't know when when that's going to (laughs) happen. But listen to what it says here. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth... There is an objective truth outside of ourselves. For the Father seeketh such to worship him, for God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Is that 
is Jesus off base here? What, what's going on with those verses? Well, it's either we can say Jesus is lying, which there's a lot of consequences if, if that is the case, or there might be an issue with us. In fact, you look at Jeremiah 17, 9. It would say that the heart is deceitful above all things. Why is my heart deceitful? I know what I know. That's the problem. You only know as much as you know. As much as with, is within you, you're, you don't have access to new information unless if you're told something new. Now, it's interesting that even though America is found to, um, or at least a lot of younger generations, and a lot of studies are showing that the millennial generation, which is my generation, which I feel like I should tend to people my age, but also everybody else, because the gospel is made for all. Um, but people of the millennial generation, Generation Z, uh, these are. this is where a lot of these prevailing ideas are coming from. And sadly, even it's affecting older generations. But you will find that most people who are above 50 will say, you can obtain truth, that God's word is the objective standard. Uh, but I kind of want to read this, uh, just a, a snippet from this. This is a... Um, uh, you can find this online on Arizona Christian University. They always post a uh, almost a monthly update on the research they're doing. And Dr. George Barner, um, I think he has something to do with Barna.com, which they also do a lot of cultural research in different areas to find out where's the nation heading. And he did a uh, survey that was that was titled "Survey Finds Americans See Many Sources of Truth and Reject Moral Absolutes." He would say, so where are Americans finding truth? The survey found that the most common notion is that God is the basis of truth, but it was a minority of only 4 out of 10 adults, 42%. Another 4 out of 10 believe that that either inner certainty, 16%, scientific proof, 15%, tradition, 5%, or public consensus, 4%, leads to knowing the truth. The remaining two out of ten uh, adults said that either there is no such thing as truth, 5%, or that they do not know the basis of truth, 13%. When you add all these percentages together, it sounds like that we are very uncertain of truth. Or there might be another sad uh, conclusion from this is that we're afraid to even speak the truth because we might be afraid of hurting feelings is what most people would say. Well, there's, there's some problems with that. And what I think we should do for the, the next couple of, of videos for this is what if we were to take instead of the worldview of the Bible and flip that and look at the biblical view of the world from a general standpoint, what does the Bible say about how the world acts and where we should be looking for our central authority and trust from? I think of Proverbs 3, 5, and and 6. Are we not to trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding, to seek Him and that He will direct our paths? Absolutely, that's what it says. But then we've got to determine whether or not we trust those words or not. You look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and every time we talk about the inspiration of Scripture and the source of Scriptures, It came from God. It's inspired of God. It's to make us better individuals. It's to help us to make righteous choices and godly choices. And it's to help us to correct ourselves. I I think in the text it would say to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering. And doctrine. Yeah, yeah, doctrine. Uh, uh, And that's essential. 
But where does it all come from? Well, the source of everything else, God. And I'm not saying God is the, the source of sin, but when you look around the created world, all of nature created by God, and we've talked about that in, in a prior podcast, but I think the world is just simply getting to a point, especially in America, I can't say this to be the case for everywhere, but in America, it's starting to become the case that we're no longer trust, trusting in God, but we're trusting in everything else that does not call itself capital G God, but it's taking a lowercase g. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that you bring <clears throat> that you bring out those points concerning what people are putting their trust in. Uh, do we have examples? Do you have examples of there of what people are putting their trust in other than God? Absolutely. Um, you look into um, <laughs> hold on. Uh, Acts chapter seventeen. We'll yes. just we'll just start That's there. I was, I was going to say Acts so, seventeen, but go ahead. Acts seventeen. You find the Apostle Paul. He's in Athens. And uh, it, it seems like he's, he's waiting for um, a couple of his companions to arrive. Yes. But until that happens, he walks around the city, and it would say in verse 16, uh, Paul waited for them at Athens, and his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, he's just making a general observation. He's not made any kind of, of we might call judgment call or just being hateful about it. But he sees, okay, this place is given over to idols. You go to a, uh, you go to Alabama, and you go where the University of Alabama is. More than likely, you're going to see a lot of football fans there. I wonder why. Um, but that city, in a sense, would be given over to football, in a sense, because that's where they spend a lot of their time, their focus, their energy. And that's what the University of Alabama, one of the major things it's known for, is a fantastic football program. So he's just using general observation here. Now he would say in verse 17, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, or speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know uh, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were with, uh, who were there, spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or to hear something new. Now, what Paul is about to say: Understand first-century culture. They didn't have electronics. Lo and behold, that's a, a relatively recent invention. They didn't have the internet. News wasn't going abroad at crazy rates, but it, it was a lot slower pace than what we're used to. We might call it archaic. I, I think that's why. Um, but in place of entertainment, uh, where we have television, we have cell phones, and we just have ready access to everything in the palm of our hand, they had plays, probably in the evening time, sometimes during the day, but they would have these big amphitheaters set up just for nighttime occasions and special performances. Um, music wasn't that big of a thing to where you'd have symphony orchestra performances, but every once in a while you'd have a bunch of musicians come together, play something, and people would dance around that. That's a form of entertainment. Um, you would see uh, another form of entertainment, so to speak, where devotions would go, would be to gods, lowercase g, gods. 
um, during first century, whether it's Grecian gods or Roman gods. Uh, the Temple of Zeus is a big one. The Temple of Aphrodite. The Temple of Diana that you read about in Acts 19, 20. Um, Ephesian, Ephesus was given over to it. That's just how it was in the ancient world. Well, we don't necessarily have those same kind of devotions today, but sadly we do have a lot of false temples built, so to speak. The god of football, the god of sports, uh, the god of money, uh, the god of, even sad to say, the god of children. Some people put their children above God, just like uh, Eli put his sons above God, and God wasn't pleased with that. Um, there's a lot of different things that we can put in place of God, and that's, that's what we see going on here. These people are giving devotions to all these different things, but not to the right place. So Paul says something about it. Verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. King James would say superstitious. They had an idea of divine things. Keyword, idea. They didn't really know how to define it. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship or your devotions, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Now, it's one thing to worship God and know what he expects. John 4, 24, worship him in spirit and in truth. God has a standard. He has a pattern. Noah built the ark according to the pattern, all that God had commanded him. Moses built the tabernacle according to the pattern that God had given him. You look at how God's children are to be today. New Testament Christians are built, so to speak, according to the pattern of New Testament Christianity. And the one who showed us that pattern is the one who gave the gospel to begin with, Jesus. And he shared that message, and it continues on. Now, what if we decided to do something that was not according to the pattern? Well, now you no longer have a New Testament Christian. You would no longer have, if Moses deferred, you wouldn't have the tabernacle as God designed. Um, if Noah didn't build the ark the way God said, it's not according to the pattern. And for some reason, we have this issue in today's time to where we don't want to presume that there's only one way and that if you believe baptism is essential, you're fine. If you don't believe it's essential, then you're fine too. If you don't think you need to even believe in God, that's fine. If you say you can love whoever you want to, regardless of it being another male or another female, or even uh, recently I saw an article of a, um, uh, a polygamous marriage, and the title of it was A Polygamous Couple Presumes Others Envious of Their Love. And I was like, what? And we, we live kind of in that, that same kind of mentality where we're exalting sin to a position it shouldn't be, and we no longer know how to identify God from the biblical perspective. And what's interesting is the Bible even talks about that kind of mentality. Paul would say it like this, that you should know, but you don't. And this is the God, the unknown God, that you worship ignorantly. Sometimes we might desire to do the right things, but we don't know exactly who we're giving devotions to. And I wonder, does the God of the Bible, has he actually given us standards that we have to live by? And I've already said things that say, yes, we do. Um, but has God given us a way to be able to identify him so that we can properly be the people God desires us to be? Yeah, that's very good. Uh, just to kind of go back and touch on what you said, 
Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. That's in Isaiah, without knowledge, without seeking uh, to the unknown God, as you were referencing uh, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter uh, Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And you go to Hosea chapter 4 and verse 2, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so it kind of ties in, when I read those verses, it kind of ties in to, well, it makes me think about people in America today are looking for something, right? They're looking for something, whether it be self, whether it be something outside their self, that is not God, and that is causing their worldview to be skewed. Is that right? Absolutely. And, I mean, there might be some very uh, generous, very good people out there, but just like Jesus said, who is good? Um, why, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good. Um, and it's interesting. There's people who have what we would consider to be good drives through life, being generous to the poor, taking care of the needy, um, making sure not to be selfish or greedy in any way and try to help whenever they can. But it's interesting, you can have a zeal to do what's right, but it may not be what's right according to God. In fact, you look at Romans chapter 10, and that's exactly what Paul presents about the Jews. He would say, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God to, or to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I, th- I thought God's people were saved. Well, he explains, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, how could Israel be called God's people, and even God's people don't know who God is? No, 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 no. They know who God is. He's the creator of all things. What they didn't know is how to be acceptable according to the standard or the pattern that he had given. And if we reject that, then what we're saying is is that God is willing to accept anyone, even if it's not what he said that we need to do according to godly, divine knowledge. In fact, verse 3, and I'll throw it back to you, Dan. But they being ignorant of God's righteousness, what God designed to be the way, seeking to establish their own righteousness, here's the key. They have not submitted to the righteousness of God. We're seeking everywhere in the world for truth, but we have not, especially in America. We have a lot of people who are not willing to submit themselves to God. Submit themselves to objective moral truth. You know, we've talked about this um, in the first podcast I did here with Wesley. We, We talked about this objective moral standard and understanding that, yes, there is a God, and if there is a God, who the very nature of God uh, flows goodness, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's where we get goodness. That's where we get holiness. If you reject that, if you seek your own righteousness, then it becomes impossible to submit yourself to the will of God. Now, right. I also thought of this verse as you were speaking, Titus chapter 3. Um, and a couple of podcasts ago, I did a whole whole section on works, right, because people are trying to figure out what they must do. And uh, when I was talking to Wesley, I presented that. I'll I'll read them again here in just a moment. But Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So people are not knowing the righteousness of God, and so therefore they're coming up with these ideas, these philosophies. You know, we talked about it pre-show about 
Marxism, humanism, all these false views that are basically internal, that are invented by men, that ultimately are not going to come to fruition of anything. I mean, it, it may dominate the worldview at the time, but eventually it will lead to destruction. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, ultimately. And, and something to take into consideration, you might share in one of those views. You, you might consider yourself to have a, a Marxist worldview or, or a Buddhist worldview, a, a Middle Eastern, New Age type view, postmodern, Christian worldview. All we're saying is, is that you should question why do you have these views and where do those views originate? If they originate from the divine being God, then you have nothing to worry about. But even God says in 1 John 4, 1 through 6, test the spirits, the character, the nature of whatever you're talking about or whatever you're trying to believe in. Test to see whether they're of God. Now, how are you going to find out about God outside of his word and what he expects and what he desires? You're not. That's one of the purposes of the Bible is so that we can know who God is. And after that, do you have the faith to believe in that? That's where the question lies. Absolutely. I want to read those verses, and then we're going to close this podcast. But listen to what it says here. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Now, that, that word spirit there just means person, mm-hmm. human. It doesn't mean anything supernatural. But it says here, it says, But try the spirits, which is test them, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. We are seeing in America today a a uh, what's the word I'm looking for a collection of that mm-hmm. all blended together blended and it says because many false prophets are gone out into the world hereby know ye the spirit of God every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God you know it reminds me of a fellow that I met quite a years back and uh, his his whole saying was, look, Jesus didn't really live. In fact, if you read the Bible, it says, if you look for me in the flesh, you will see me not. And I'm like, okay, Jesus may have said that, but he's talking about when he ascends into heaven. That's right. And so uh, just some things to think about. We're going to continue with this topic here. Uh, right now, I want you to know that you're listening to the Patriot Preacher Podcast or you're even watching it on YouTube Minus all the pre-video, uh, pre-audio banner because we did have some pre-video. Uh, but you're listening to the Patriot Preacher Podcast. We hope you like what you're hearing. If you do, like, hit subscribe, whatever you have to do to uh, to continue listening. We want you to continue to listen. We want you to reach out to us. The Tri-City School of Preaching wants you to reach out to them. I'm on C- uh, what's it? What is it? 423-512-9226. Twenty six. That's rise to truth. I gave them a Fort Bragg area code. Yeah, I was like, Ooh, <laughs> uh, but my phone number is four two three seven zero seven four one seven eight. You can reach out to me at cfraley two at suddenlink dot net. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. This is the Patriot Preacher Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and God bless you.